July 9, 2009, Bird and Melanie Billings were shot and killed in their own home outside of Pensacola, Florida. Nine of their adopted special needs children were home during the break-in and the murder. Two things were taken from the home. A briefcase, likely containing at least $100,000 cash, and a safe that was filled with medications for the children, some jewelry, and passports. Bud married Melanie in 1990, just four short months after divorcing his second wife, Cindy. One of the little Billings girls ran next door to report to the neighbor that her parents had been shot. The neighbor, April, immediately called 911 and let emergency services know that there were still kids in the house. When police arrived, they found children hiding under covers and in cabinets all throughout the house. This house that the crime occurred in isn't like a classic four-bedroom home, but in fact an eight-bedroom mansion, not reasonably sized, but a very large one. Regardless, the children were a witness to this murder whether they heard it or saw it go down. And one of them, a young boy with Down syndrome, was actually outside of his parents' master bedroom as they were shot and killed. He heard everything, but was too shaken up to communicate effectively with the police. Fortunately for the police, the children were not the only witnesses to the attack. Brutal slaying. The Billings had 16 security cameras throughout the home. And one of the rooms, I believe the only room that wasn't covered by the cameras, was the master bedroom which is where they were actually killed. What the footage does show, though, is so clear in uncovering exactly what happened up until they were in the bedroom that all eight that were involved in the robbery and murder were tried and convicted. So why am I looking further into this case? If the footage busted everything wide open and they were able to connect all the dots and convict everyone for the crime that they committed, well, if you look online, there are very few forums about this case and only one documentary that I could find. And my point is that this wasn't something that was broadcast over and over because it was solved so quickly. Well, a few weeks ago, I had a private reading with a fellow medium. We do those from time to time as it can be difficult to connect on your own behalf or on behalf of a family member, and it helps to get outside perspective. Well, anyway, during our reading, Melanie Billings came through to ask to look further into this case. Ricardo, my friend and fellow medium, was able to see the crime scene and described it to me in horrific detail. I still feel kind of bad that my energy led him to that. He saw, too, that the case was solved and that whatever Melanie wanted to share was with me. So here's a first for me, and it may even sound crazy, but I'm okay with that. This is, after all, not straight true crime, but so much more. Melanie Billings from the other side asked me to look into this case for her. I connected with Melanie, and she was lit up with anger about something. What was interesting to me right away was that we were able to see it was a double homicide in my private reading, but while Bud came through at the time to show himself, he didn't come through when I connected with Melanie later in that week, and even tonight. She stuck around through waiting for her chance to speak with me, and I won't say that she waited patiently either. She was definitely present through a lot of... of events that happened after my reading with my friend. Anyway, when I connected to her, she was adamant in telling me that she was, that quote, she was more involved than that. And she's not referencing herself. She's referencing someone else. She was more involved than that. She was more involved than that. And she showed me over and over this blonde woman who was the quote ringleader, so to speak. But that didn't come out that way in court. She was insisting that she was pissed at Bill for not giving her what she thought was her fair share, this blonde woman. 
And now I'm not even really sure what exactly she means by that, but we're going to continue on with the case and I'll interject with who I connected with as we go. So it was said that all of the security cameras were up because of all the special needs children in the home. Well, yes, I can see this. I don't feel that it was the only reason for the security cameras. The hit that I got on this was that while, yes, the cameras were helpful for checking in on the kids, they were also there to keep tabs on whoever was in the home just in case something ever happened. Bud's past wasn't all saintly as one may believe, being that he and his wife opened their home to these children who were in dire need of love and stability. Was he a good person? Yeah, absolutely. This is a wonderful thing that they did. But I also feel that this was largely Melanie and that Bud made Melanie happy in doing this. I'm not saying that he didn't love having a full home because I believe that he did. But she was the one who desired this the most. Melanie was Bud's third wife. Like I said, he married her a few short months, four to be exact, after divorcing his second wife, Cindy. I'm trying so hard not to speak fast here because this case just like has me reeling and spinning in circles. So Cindy was interviewed by police as well as reached out to by reporters, but she declined to accept any interviews. So she was the ex-wife. Of course they would interview her, except she and Bud had a run-in with the law during their marriage, which is why they actually wanted to talk to her. They had pled no contest to charges of trying to obtain a new board for $2,100. Yeah, they tried to buy a baby for $2,100. What? the hell. She wouldn't comment on this, but their punishment was a mere two years probation, which was actually amended to one year each. She did, however, say that Bud was always dealing with shady characters throughout his career. Like Pamela Wiggins, perhaps? Stay tuned, the name will resurface. What did Bud do for work? He was incredibly wealthy, living in an incredibly affluent part of town, and in that area of of Florida, I mean, It was all millionaires, absolutely millionaires over there. Bud worked for a company back in the day called Backseat Incorporated. This was a holding company for a topless bar that opened in 1990. And one of the bar's previous employees, a waitress, claimed that he actually helped her to turn her life around. And this is so confusing to me because as a holding company, he wouldn't necessarily be hiring the waitresses, but working more with management and the stocks that the topless bar owned, like their financial assets. So did he hire her as an employee working for him in a more professional manner? Was he just, he was described by her though, as a man of integrity and by his former employees other than her as well. So backseat incorporated no longer exists. We can't really do any digging about what they do today, but he also owned a used car lot that was registered in Melanie's name, as well as her daughter, Ashley's. I know that I'm not too business savvy, but it seems odd to me that his business went, his business was registered in their names. Did he not want his name attached to it in case something went wrong on his end or on their end? Was he protecting his assets by not putting his name on everything in case he got into legal trouble or was met with death in the way that he was? Was he protecting Ashley and the other children by putting it in her mother's name and in her name? Well, according to ABC News, This car lot was basically on an old concrete slab and was surrounded by pawn shops and bail bond companies in a bad part of town. I'm kind of getting the idea that it was like a front for other things, but I digress. This doesn't sound like something to me that would make him enough money to live a lavish lifestyle while raising nine children because kids are freaking expensive, plus the adult children that he and Melanie had from previous relationships. So, 
Do you remember the briefcase that I mentioned in the beginning? The reason that Bud carried that with him was because he would provide cash loans with that money. And this sounds a little shady in and of itself to me. What do I know? So to back it on up, the surveillance shows a red van pulling up to the front of the house where three men bust down the door and storm inside while two men simultaneously bust into the back of the house. That's five people plus two getaway drivers, okay? That's seven. Bud and Melanie were both found in the master bedroom where the intruders took them after shooting Bud in the leg in the living room, which you can see on surveillance camera. Once they're in the bedroom, no more footage can be seen. Bud was found face down, laying on his hands, which were bound with a zip tie, and Melanie was face up with her right shoulder slumped up against the bedroom wall. The images of the red van that was seen dropping off three of the suspects, as well as a gold SUV that dropped off two more in the back, were both released to the public almost immediately. And within only 36 hours, the van was found at the home of Leonard Patrick Gonzalez Sr. It was parked next to his trailer, and looking sickly and weak and down on his luck as police would describe him, they believed him when he said that the van was his son's and that it was inoperable for weeks now. So just when they feel like maybe that wasn't their van, they actually get a call. I believe while they were leaving his trailer, they get a call from a convenience store that has footage of this van that is, quote, inoperable, parked in front of their store just a few days earlier, and Gonzalez Sr. himself exiting the van to come into the store. Hmm. Sounds like he isn't as innocent as police assumed. Don't they say never judge a book by its cover? Of course, they return to Gonzalez Sr. and they allow him to try again with his story. This time, he explains that he was only the getaway driver of the van and that his son, Leonard Patrick Gonzalez Jr., as well as another, Wayne Goldiron, were involved as well. According to Gonzalez Sr., Jr. knew the house because of some construction he had done to the interior of the house, so he knew about the safe and all of that. I want to interject here because I do believe that Gonzalez Jr. knew a little bit about the interior of the house because of the construction that he did, but I also do not believe that that construction is what sparked his interest in this case to begin with. Police had to release Goldiron and Jr. for the lack of evidence tying them to what Gonzalez Sr. was saying, but they did obtain a search warrant to Sr.'s trailer. One of the officers noticed an empty shoebox that once contained black combat-style boots, just like the one seen on the feet of the men, quote, dressed like ninjas, entering the home of Bud and Melanie Billings on July 9th. And I do want to take a minute to revisit the beginning here. When these people busted in, when you saw these two in the back and the three in the front busting into the Billings home, they were dressed in all black. They were described by police as looking like ninjas, and they were all wearing black combat boots which is just terrifying. And they really, for a while, speculated over, was this um, was this like a hired hit? Was this like an execution? What happened here? Who are these people? Was the motive really just a robbery? What was going on? So when police visit Walmart, where they believe the shoes had been purchased from, they were able to not only see footage of Gonzalez Sr. buying them, but they also had footage with two men who had driven up in a gold Explorer, which was previously identified as getaway vehicle number two. How quickly this story unfolds. These two men were Gary Sumner and Donnie Stallworth. And Sumner drove the Gold Explorer as a getaway driver, and Stallworth entered the back of Billings' home with Wayne Goldiron. Arrests are now made. 
This message is for you, mamas, women who have been letting everyone else's dreams come ahead of their own, and anyone who feels like they're struggling to put themselves as a first priority. Your dreams matter now just as much as they did before life started happening. And so many of us forget that we once had dreams and desires that we wanted to see fulfilled and pushed it all to the back burner using things like logic and other good reasons as to why we shouldn't do them now. Well, if you're ready to start committing to your dreams, then I would ask you to visit my website, katherineintuitive.com and schedule a discovery call. If you're ready to really commit, then I have 12 weeks for you to do that, working with me one-on-one to really explore your life and get back to living it in the way that you so desire to. Are y'all keeping up? I hope I still have you because as luck would have it, and truly this feels like such luck, two more suspects come through to confess. 19-year-old Frederick Thornton and Raheem Florence worked for a friend of Gonzalez Jr. at an auto shop. Junior approached them about working a robbery for some cash, and they accepted the job. We are now up to seven suspects. We have Sumner, Stallworth, Gonzalez Sr., Gonzalez Jr., Goldiron, Thornton, and Florence. The red van, Thornton and Florence, by the way, agreed to cooperate with police and testify against their comrades. The red van was registered to Pamela Wiggins, a local real estate agent and businesswoman. Now this blonde is the woman that Melanie was referencing. I just got chills, by the way. The safe was buried on her property, and she was convicted of two counts of accessory after the fact to a felony. She was sentenced to 28 years and 12 years concurrently. How did she get wrapped up in this? Because it's generally understood that um, Gonzalez Jr. was the ringleader here, that this is all his idea. Well, according to ABC News, her red van was the van used to transport both the safe that was stolen from the Billings home, as well as the guns used in the murdering of Bud and Melanie Billings. Another suspect who was cooperating with the police claimed that Pamela was riding in the van while the guns were being transported following the robbery and knew that they had been used in the murders as well. Police did not confirm or deny this piece of information, but come on, when you can't confirm or deny, I feel like that's confirmation. But really, I do feel she knew exactly what had gone down. Did she intend for anyone to be murdered? No, I don't think that she provided. I don't think that she knew exactly what went down. But I do think that she provided the weapons and also was more of a ringleader in this scenario than she paints herself to be. And Melody seems to think so as well. So the connections were described by police as, quote, loose acquaintances and an interesting group of loosely connected people. Gonzalez Jr. was actually a tenant of Pam's. Doesn't this just keep getting better? She owned eight residential properties in Santa Rosa County, Florida, but over a dozen properties over three states altogether. Now, one of those properties is in Georgia, and the other is a popular antique mall in Florida known as Magnolia Antique Mall, which was listed as the owner of her yacht, the Classy Lady, where her bitch ass was found chilling like a villain, <laughs> I had to, um, when she was arrested. So according to his CNN news report, she also had six aliases. Some of them were tied to married names of hers from previous husbands, but she was only married three times, which leaves two other, because of her maiden name, I'm assuming, two other names that are unaccounted for where she got them from. She also drove a Rolls Royce, so she owns several properties. She has rental properties. 
She owns a Rolls Royce, but then one of her houses is in foreclosure. And it sounds to me and it feels to me as if her world is starting to crumble and she's not really sure how long she can maintain the lifestyle that she has been accustomed to living. And I'm not sure how many landlords have their tenant as a witness to their wedding, but Pam sure did. Gonzalez Jr., not only was he one of her tenants, but he was also one of the witnesses to sign Pam's marriage license in her marriage to Hugh Wiggins. Doesn't that scream of a closer friendship and relationship than that of a landlord and tenant? Her second husband, possibly still married to him because no decree of divorce was ever issued, he told police that she always seemed to have a ton of cash that couldn't be easily explained. And did I mention that the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives was involved in the investigation? Not only that, but the DEA was as well. Sounds like a bigger mess than the public was ever filled in on, right? So back to it. In my intuitive opinion, Pam brought the idea to Gonzalez Jr., who was already working for her in her drug operation, her gun trafficking operation, but we believe she was also supplying firearms. The woman was wheeling and dealing in far more than just real estate. One shady businesswoman meets a shady businessman, <clears throat> Bird Billings, and he is unwilling to get in on her operation. He doesn't want to. It's too dangerous, and he's already got his hands in a few pots. The difference is here that Bud truly is looking out for his family. Again, those surveillance cameras were not just for the kids. Melanie truly desired to help these special needs kiddos, but Bud loved doing it too. And it really filled his heart, and let's face it, Bud was getting up there in age, and he wasn't looking to go all in on new deals. Pam needed him to, though, because her cash flow was drying up, and she knew she that he could put up the cash. Bud was well-known in town as having a lot of money, and Gonzalez Jr. actually told Florence, according to Florence, I'll post that interview in the Patreon, that they were going to go in and grab over $13 million off of this property. They truly thought that they were walking out with millions. I don't think that Bud had that on hand, though. Maybe they walked with a cool 100 k but split eight ways, that's not much. And I do feel that he and Pam had done business together in the past, but that he refused to take her on in the capacity that she desired to be taken on in. So Pam came to Gonzalez Jr. with this plan, and Jr. was in charge of enlisting and training accomplices. Oh, and by the way, they trained for 30 days, drilling how to go in and out of the house, how to do it simultaneously, how to walk into the house, everything that they needed to know about how to carry their weaponry, yada, yada, yada. And this was all from Junior's time with the National Guard. So the precision that they entered the house with was enough to make the police think that this was actually a contract killing. And Junior's time in the National Guard wasn't really as um, big of a deal as he made it sound like it was to Pam. He definitely thought more highly of himself than Pam realized and portrayed kind of a skewed image of his capabilities as well. So Senior did his Senior owned his own power washing company that had cleaned Bud's house. But truly, that connection feels moot to me. I think it was more of a, hey, Dad, we're going to rob this place, and there's $13 million in it to split if you want to get in on it. Go get you some military-grade combat boots from the Walmart, and we'll train you on up. <laughs> we're going to rob the Billings place. And Dad would have said something along the lines of like, oh, yeah, that fucking mansion. We just had a job there. I know the place. Yeah, man, I'm in. Simple as that. Because 
Why wouldn't he be in? He didn't have much to speak of, and at the very least, Pam and Junior were the ringleaders together, but she definitely was going to get more money out of it if it worked out. In my research, I found that more than only Melanie and her husband had since passed. Pamela Wiggins died in prison in 2015. She served a very short time in her 28-year sentence. Le- uh, excuse me, Leonard Patrick Gonzalez Sr. also died in prison while serving his time. And if they're on the other side, you know what that means. Yep, I attempted to connect with both of them. Gonzalez Sr. was not coming through for me, but Pamela sure did. She told me that a long time ago, she and Bird had done business together, though I have to say that I feel it was less of a big deal than she perceived it to be. She essentially thought that she owed, that he owed her a bigger piece of the pie than he thought he did, and it never came up as something in conversation with anyone because Bud thought that it wasn't a big deal, though Pamela did think it was a big deal and held on to it tightly for years. So she did okay in her own shady dealings, but she also got involved with some pretty heavy trafficking of drugs and guns, as we kind of mentioned before. She was desperate for money and went to the first person she knew she could obtain a large payout from. And again, this is my intuition. This is what um, I basically gathered from the other side. She felt that he owed her, though she didn't plan on them being murdered. She wanted what was hers. And when I first connected to Melanie, I thought she was showing me how angry she was with Bud for being in these shady dealings that ultimately it led to their demise. Truly though, I believe that he opted out of shady practices with Pam and because of that, it ultimately led to his demise and that of his wife as well. Bud wanted the best for his family and he was able to provide it. How he made his millions, well, it doesn't seem to be for us to know at this point in time, although I do believe, while it wasn't all super legal, I think that he walked away from something much bigger. And I get the sense that, and this is really the first time that I've felt him again since that reading I had with my friend, but I get the sense that he wasn't willing to bring dangerous things like drugs into people's lives and refused to be a part of that. So... As he knew what it could do to people and he couldn't be responsible for the pain and torture of addiction on individuals and their families, we all have our own limits and our own moral compasses, I guess. Melanie, I really truly hope that I did your case justice. I hope that you can rest a little easier knowing that um, Pam was more involved and that there was a larger operation with guns and drugs going on in the background. I do not feel like I can say much on that, nor do I feel comfortable feeling further into exactly what capacity the drugs and weapons were involved because there are some things that I just prefer not to know as well. This episode is released just a few short days before the 12-year anniversary of their deaths, and their adopted children are under the care of Ashley Markle, the biological daughter of Melanie. She continues to raise them and love them in the home where the brutal murders took place. And while there is so much healing to do, she seems to have found a safe place in the love that surrounds her from those kids that were so dear to her mom and dad. Before I end, I wanted to leave you with the sentencing for each of those involved in the murder of Bud and Melanie Billings. Leonard Patrick Gonzalez Jr. was convicted by a jury of two death penalties for two counts of first-degree murder and a life sentence for one count of home invasion robbery with a firearm. Donnie Stallworth, received two consecutive life sentences for two counts of first-degree murder, lengthy prison sentence for one count of home invasion robbery with a firearm, basically life in prison. 
Wayne Coldiron was received two consecutive life sentences for two counts of first-degree murder, his lengthy prison sentence for one count of home invasion robbery with a firearm. Frederick Thornton, a plea agreement, testified against his co-defendants, resulting in two concurrent 40-year sentences for two counts of second-degree murder, concurrent 22-year sentence for one count of home invasion robbery with a firearm, which totals 22 years in prison and 18 years probation. Rakeem Florence also took a plea agreement and testified against his co-defendants, resulting in two concurrent 45-year sentences for two counts of second-degree murder, concurrent 24-year sentence for one count of home invasion robbery with a firearm, which was 24 years in prison and 21 years probation. Gary Sumner was the back-of-the-house getaway driver in that gold explorer. He took a plea agreement as well, resulting in two concurrent 20-year sentences for two counts of second-degree murder, concurrent 20-year life sentence for one count of home invasion robbery with a firearm. And Leonard Patrick Gonzalez Sr. was the front-of-house getaway driver. He took a plea agreement as well, resulting in two concurrent 17-and-a-half-year sentences for two counts of second-degree murder, concurrent 17-and-a-half-year sentence for one count of home invasion with a firearm, and he did pass away in prison. And Pamela Longwiggins' jury conviction resulting in concurrent 28-year and 12-year sentences for two counts of accessory after the fact of a felony, which we now know is bogus. However, she also passed away in prison. So I hope that you all enjoyed a little bit uh, different of a case today, something that already has conclusions, but that more light was desired to be brought to what we did already know. And with that, I'll see y'all next week on Murder and Mediumship.